Paul Munford is the founder of LeanLux, a newsletter for the modern luxury business set. Sharing noteworthy developments happening in retail, launched in July 2016, LeanLux is a big-picture briefing on the businesses, personalities, and broader trends driving modern luxury and the Henry economy. Henry stands for High Earner Not Rich Yet. Since just before COVID-19, Paul has been based in New York City. He and I first met right around the time I left New York for Chicago, and I've been so impressed with how his platform LeanLux has expanded from newsletter to networking events to business consultancy. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I was looking back at old email, and do you know when we first started talking? This was about 10 years ago, so I was 11 years ago. Wow, like 2009. Holy yeah. shit. Wow, wow, wow. What, what was the what was going on back then? So I know you had a blog. I had a blog. We would come to New York. I don't know if you were living there, living here at the time, but like I was in Virginia and I would come here mm. periodically. So I actually didn't live here, but I would just fly up or I'd take the train or something and I'd stay here for a week or for a couple weekends or something like that. But yeah, that's a long ass time ago, man. Even like this year alone, it just felt like the weirdest time warp. It's crazy just to think back as far back as 2009 and how things have changed since then. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you were thinking about when you named your blog Components of Enthusiasm? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So I just graduated from college. This is like during the, the height of the, rece- of the recession. I was working a nine to five that I hated. This is like a pretty standard story for, for a lot of the, the folks like my age around that time we were starting their own kind of menswear blogs, but I don't know, like just was bored at work, started it, was always interested in kind of the fashion side of things and clothing. Kind of saw that this new community of bros starting out talking about style, not fashion, but style. Remember that? And so. Yes. Vividly. I, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know, for me, I don't, I really, I don't quite remember why I, I named it Components of Enthusiasm. I think it probably was just something as simple as, okay, maybe this domain is available, which it was. And I don't know, it just seemed like the proper sort of, I guess, title for what I was writing about at the time, which were at the time is like very limited clothing, clothing, shoes, style, like all that stuff. So I guess in a lot of ways, that was a big component of my enthusiasm for life at that particular moment in time. But that's, that's a long time ago. I actually forgot it was called that. It's crazy. <laughs> did you really? I really oh, did, man. man. Yeah, I, yeah. I, now, if I remember correctly, it was mainly visual. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So thinking back, when I first started, it was just like your standard blog. I think it was on Blogspot or, or something like that. And it was basically just talking about, okay, I don't know, like L.O. Bean would have a new collection or they do collab with, God, what was the guy's name back then? Alex Carlton? No, not him. It was somebody else, McNary, right? Oh, Mark so like, McNary, sure. Yeah, yeah. So McNary was always doing something with somebody. And it was really just a simple, may not have been like L.O. Bean per se, but yeah, it was just something as simple as, hey, like this new collection just came out and this is interesting. I'm really feeling the patterns here and, and <laughs> right. you know, the, the influence behind like why they came up with this new collection. It was, and, it was all of those collaborations were intentionally story driven. You'd have some yeah, Southerner yeah. who'd want to have a Northern vibe or an old brand that want to have a young vibe. Mark's first collaborations that I remember were with Woolrich and it was like yep. a head scratcher. But they ended up working really well. And then he partnered with, was it Alfred Sargent or one of those Northampton shoemakers? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it turned into what he's now built for himself. The other thing that I remember about what you had back then was your icon was a painting or maybe it was an album cover of Miles Davis. That's still, so I still use that for my um, actual home email, like my actual personal email. And I can't really figure out how to get rid of it. <laughs> so it's, it's still there. It's, it's, I rarely actually use my personal to communicate. I just use it as like a capture for coupons and all the right. brand emails and everything like that. But yeah, if I were to email you today with that, you would see it. And I'm sure you'd be overjoyed. <laughs> Tell me about Miles Davis. What does he mean to yeah. you? Yeah. 
My dad, I grew up on jazz. So I'm one of those weirdos who, and I didn't realize this until I got to college, frankly, but I'm the type of listener who listens to music and judges music based on the way that it sounds and not necessarily on the lyrics. And, you know, that was always like my frame of reference because I grew up listening to jazz. My dad was a classically trained jazz drummer, so that's embedded in me. And basically, as far back as I can remember, Max, I'd just been listening to jazz and just soaking all that stuff up. My grandfather, you know, his dad was also huge into that era of jazz too, like Blue Note era. So, you know, for me, it's just a part of me and it's something that I still, you know, really enjoy. And yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. But tell me what, if, if you had to pick one, what would be your Desert Island Blue Note record? Oh, that's a tough question. Jesus Christ. No softball questions with this one. <laughs> Blue, not to be too basic about it, but like, it's pretty honestly, great. it's one of the ones that I can listen to from top to bottom. I know what I'm getting. It's just like a very great listen. I, I grew up on it. It was extent. my first jazz record. I think I got it from BMG. Yeah. <laughs> nice but I like I told you my dad was always listening to that sort of thing like it was in the sphere of my like growing up but I didn't actually start listening to it seriously and really paying attention to it until I got to college so my second year I was listening to like Wynton Marsalis like on repeat like nonstop, listening to Coltrane all the time listening to Miles Davis all the time but Lou was the one that I kept returning to time after time. And, and frankly, when I still return to it, it's just perfect. It's like the, it's the quintessential for me, fall listen. So like right now, even though it's like 65 in New York currently, which is crazy for November, but still, you still have the fall feels. And so every now and then I like to throw on a little Miles Davis while I'm working, or if I'm just chilling out on a Sunday night, Sunday evening, just winding down to that and preparing for the week that'll do wonders. So that's the one I'd, I'd probably return back to. If you had to throw me in a desert island, that's the one I'd probably pick. Yeah, man. That's great. What about you? What's your go-to? Lately, I've been... So I have a vinyl collection and I've been talking with my wife lately about, do I actually need this? And she's like, you've worked so hard <laughs> to curate it the way that you want. I, I will regularly... I live about a mile from a great record shop, one of the best record stores in the country, actually. And I will regularly just go with a crate of stuff that I know would be better in another person's home. And I'll mm -hmm. trade it out for one or two new records. And I have really pared down my record collection. But at the same time, like, there are a few that I can't get rid of, I, I have to hold on to. And one of those is Today and Tomorrow by McCoy Tyner. I listen to it Ooh. all the time. And I feel like it it hits every season. It hits every mood. There's so much in there that that makes sense to me. I listen to really cheesy jazz though too. I like there's a mix. My wife referenced it on the podcast a uh, week before last. That, that's the morning mix, and it's corny, but it makes me really happy. It's got some Wyndham classics on there, and it's it's got some other <laughs> stuff. The thing about jazz is that. There is something for everyone in jazz. You just have to know how to look for it or where to find yeah. it. And yeah. there's stuff for the Kanye fan as much as there's stuff for the Willie Nelson fan in jazz. And yeah. Yeah. I was actually listening to Stardust earlier today and he sings all the, the standards, Willie Nelson. And, and there's a couple other records around that time that uh, were produced by Booker T. And they're just like, you know, they're perfect for, for when you need them. And then you can put them away and put them back in the record pile when you don't, or you can pass them on to a, a new home as I do. Think about where we are right now, like how we actually perceive jazz. Like right now, jazz is a sophisticated sort of listen. It takes like, there's something cultural about it from a high minded sense. I think it's interesting if you actually dive into the history of jazz, like jazz started out as like this, it wasn't like seen as the pinnacle of culture. It was seen as something else. It was underground. Right. A little rough around the edges compared to what was actually coming out around that time in the like 20s, 30s, 40s. I guess around the 50s and 60s, it started to, there was an uptick in like how people were perceiving it. But when it first came, it wasn't looked at or regarded as something to really take seriously. It was frowned upon and scoffed at. I think it's interesting just kind of, we think about the things that are very high-minded now and, and right. cultural from a refined sensibility today. 
it's always fascinating to me to go back and track the lineage of that and figure out, okay, what did it first start out as? How was it first perceived? And okay, it's like this now, but like, how did it actually transform? What, like, what were the things that made it, you know, people look at it differently over the, the next like, you know, couple of decades or whatever. I always think that sort of change is fascinating. So I guess you could probably compare that to hip hop currently. Um, well, very and, curious to see. Yeah. But and, I was going to say very curious to see. We've got people like Jay-Z, no longer a young gun. He's not 28 right. anymore. He's what? He's close to 50, if not 50 already. How are these elder statesmen, so to speak, of hip hop? What's their role going to be going forward? Like, how are they going to change? What's that going to look like? I'm actually curious to see what's going to happen there. I would actually draw the comparison farther. We could talk about you know, where we came from with All Plat Out and Components of Enthusiasm and talking about how Charlie Davidson at the Andover shop in Boston was the first person mm -hmm. to put a blazer on Miles Davis. He was roommates with Chet Baker and mm -hmm. how the prep look informed the jazz nightclubs of the early 50s. It stems from college preparatory culture. The Andover shop is named for Andover Academy. How did that happen? And then to go even farther, you're talking about origin stories. You're talking about young ideas, young concepts. So I'm so happy that we've reconnected in the way that we have 11 years later via your current vehicle, Lean Lux. It's fascinating. You are knee deep, if not <laughs> head and shoulders deep into the direct-to-consumer brands world, into this community of startups. How did that originate? Yeah, so I was splitting time between here and DC when I first started Lean Lux. So I lived in Charleston for five years, and then I moved up to DC, lived there for several years. DC at the time was like the perfect happy medium for me in terms of being like living there, because um, when I needed to take meetings, in New York, I would either just take a train or fly in or drive in and I'd be here for a week or be here for two weeks or something. And my family is um, from Richmond, Virginia. So from DC, that's about 90 minutes away driving south. So a quick hop on 95, you're back home in 90 minutes. And then of course, if you wanted to hop on the train, that's like a four hour trip, easy peasy up to New York. So for me at the time, it was like a very happy medium between taking, being close to, being closer rather to New York in a business sense, and then also being close to family. And again, like I went to the University of Virginia, UVA, and DC is like a, a big hot spot for UVA graduates. So I have a lot of close college friends and even high school friends who were living in DC at the time and still do. So at the time, Max, it was just like a nice happy medium. And Charleston was very fun, but it is hard to stay focused there because it's just, there's, they say it's like Peter, it, it's almost like Neverland. It's just, it's beautiful weather throughout the, the winter. It's 60, 60 degrees, like 55 degrees, like every single day. It's amazing. The food's great. Bars just popping. There's three beaches. Like it's amazing. But the problem is you get a little complacent, right? So if you want to build a company, there's not that entrepreneurial sort of community there. It's more of a kind of like an artsier scene more than anything. So I basically, I was just like, okay, I need to progress a little bit. So I decided to move back to DC. I moved up to DC. It was there for about three years and then finally made the jump full-time to New York, June, 2019. And that was primarily from a business standpoint. I was throwing more and more events through Lean Lux. And we can talk about that too. I'm sure we will. Lean Lux first started as like a media thing, strictly media. It was just a newsletter. And over time, it started to get more social and become something that was like actually having impact in a real life scenario. So lots of events, panel talks, socials, dinners, things like that. New York is obviously the biggest market for Lean Lux. So I wanted to be here full time and get all that going on. And I was here for about, gosh, like six, seven, eight months. And then what happens? COVID hits. <laughs> so... I have been here, basically I've been here, half the time I've been here, it's been COVID, which is crazy. <laughs> so the reason, like, let's go back, like the reason I primarily moved up here, Max, was to grow the to real life with portion. people. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then coronavirus hits, I moved into a new place, I broke my lease, I, I was living in the, in the East Village, 
broke my lease in February, moved into this current place I'm in in Williamsburg in February. And then a month later, coronavirus just like shuts the whole city down. Frankly, I don't know if you've been to Williamsburg since everything shut down, but it's actually like pretty damn fun still because they shut down several streets here and it's just great to walk up and down the streets and everybody's got like outdoor seating and to go drinks and things like that. So that's your scene. That's awesome. It was, it's been great since the spring. When you think about it, I actually haven't really explored my new neighborhood in a way that I actually wanted to. Most of the places that I had marked down for my friends haven't been able to go inside. It's just been like a weird situation. But for the most part, it's been fairly okay. And I've been blessed in that sense. But it it definitely has not been ideal from a real life sort of social business sort of standpoint. And that's, again, (laughs) the whole reason why I moved up here. Yeah, yeah. So let's back up because what I didn't hear is what were you doing when you started <laughs> yeah. Lean Lux? So I, had, I was running my own PR shop, okay. a small PR shop with a buddy of mine. It was called Munford PR, very original. <laughs> so this was an extension of, I, I guess, my foundation that I got through Components of Enthusiasm, which was just like knowledge of the menswear space and deeper knowledge of like how PR works and understanding and talking to people, which stories really matter and which are interesting and decided just to go out my own. When I was start, when I ran Components of Enthusiasm, I was working at a nine to five, which I actually hated. I was looking for a way out and finally was able to start my own small PR shop, found clients pretty quickly and found a, a nice little comfortable level there. The problem with me though is that I do not like I, I do not like services. Like I don't really enjoy the whole client situation. I've never really been about that much. But it was a nice transition to get out of my nine to five, make my own money, make my own schedule, do that sort of thing, have that sort of freedom. So there came a point where I was doing Munford PR, not quite enjoying it, but being okay with it. But I was also noticing there was this sort of new thing going on. Munford PR was mostly focused on like emerging menswear companies. Sure. They're not really scalable, right? It's, they're just like traditional in that sense. But I was noticing folks like Warby Parker and others like them. And they were just, they were doing things differently. And I noticed that it wasn't just the Warbys or the Outdoor Voices, or the Everlanes. But in doing some digging, I found that there was like a lot of other people and a lot of the other founders and brands that were doing almost the same exact thing in terms of the business model, which we know now is Threat to Consumer, DTC. So I was like, you know what? Nobody's actually covering this. There, obviously there's TechCrunch. TechCrunch is basically just covering tech. That's how they started. And I was like, nobody's actually keeping track of what's happening in this new space, this new sort of groundswell movement or whatever you want to call it. And I was like, I know where to go at like New York Times. I know where to go at the Wall Street Journal if I want to find the latest news about Everlane or whoever it is. But I was like, there's no one source that's actually keeping track of these companies and not just keeping track of them, but also in a lot of ways, helping you understand what's going on. What are the strategies they're using? Who's funding these companies and why? Who are the founders? How do they think? Where do they come from? There wasn't a place for you to find that news and also learn more about why this space is important and what it actually means. So I just just decided to start Lean Lux. And frankly, Max, it was mostly designed to funnel business towards the agency at the time, but it took off pretty quickly from the get-go. And I was able to get coverage from this is a fashion when we launched. Uh, Fast Company covered us. I think Fortune did as well, and some other smaller, influential kind of like blogs, Own the Leak, and, and folks like those. And so I was actually able to get pretty good traction without really doing much at all from the beginning. And then over time, like it, it just started to grow without me having to do anything. And so I realized pretty quickly that there was a market there. And I was looking for a way to kind of transition and things worked out in my favor. I was able to do that. 
the best ideas manage to have a life of their own pretty quickly. They manage to take that groundswell, the zeitgeist, by storm. Everyone that I mentioned Lean Lux to, if they have heard of it, they are ardent fans and readers. And then if they're not familiar with it, without fail, within a week or two, they'll come to me and say, wow, it is so well done. I think it has something to do with going back to components. It has something to do with your enthusiasm and your level of taste. The curation level is very high. Did you set out to set it up where you were knowingly going to be covering different sections of the newspaper where you'd have a little bit of your headline, you'd have a little bit of global, you'd have a little bit of style, you'd have a little bit of, you know, sports. How have you managed that, the sort of the yeah, diversity, yeah. the diversification of the information that's, that you put well, into Lean Lux? Yeah. And no, for, actually for listeners, I guess for listeners, we should back up also. And, and can you explain what Lean Lux is at its core? It's a newsletter, correct? Yeah, that's typically, that is how people first come into it. It's actually a bit more than that. I guess the best way to explain it is like a newsletter with a, a community aspect hacked onto it as well. So and the community, you come into the, the community gathers where? The community is primarily through Slack, right? There, if, you're, if you go through the newsletter towards the bottom, there's going to be a section that says, hey, there's a community, there's a Slack channel, enter in your email and apply if you want to join. There's a long wait list and I get emailed about it every single day. <laughs> but the thing, with, the thing is, <laughs> you're in the Slack channel, right? So you came through it, like you knew me ahead of time, but like your primary access point to it and your view of it was primarily through the newsletter. And that's how people get into it. It's a bit of a Trojan horse, to be honest with you. But the most important thing, and this is where we're going to be focusing more towards heading into 2021, is the community aspect and the power behind all of that. Being able to use a newsletter to, if you align with the way that we think, right? So like the newsletter isn't at this point, we're going into some heavy weeds here, right? If, if that's okay. But you come into the newsletter thinking that it is actually just like a news newsletter. It's actually not. There's a lot of things in there that if you agree with the viewpoints and you think a certain way, then you're going to be inclined to opt into the Slack channel. And that's going to open up this whole new world of like-minded people to you who think the same way that you do in a good way. This is not like political or anything like that, but just like the interest level and seeing the world a certain way, going to the same places, talking to the same sorts of people. And so that to me is the most important thing and the most powerful thing. Slack channel, you know, newsletter is huge. The Slack channel itself is a fraction of that and that is very much by design. And so there are people like knocking every day trying to get in, but I want to keep it very limited right now. And this is a function, a limitation of Slack as an application in itself more than anything, frankly, because it's designed for communication within a single organization. Right. If you've got multiple people from multiple organizations, there's a a lack of context there. Things get like kind of hairy and very, it's just not very pretty. It can get ugly quickly, right? It's from a, from an organizational standpoint. And so I just want to keep things lean (laughs) and and very like the Slack channel only has, I think 720 odd people in there again, super small, but it's almost an experiment because I want to see, okay, what are the conversations that are happening here? What are the types of people that are opting in to this? What do they like? What do they dislike? Right. That sort of thing. And also just from, from a management, from a community management point of view, like how do you frankly just manage the types of conversations? Like it can't just be, you can't just have a free for all or else it just turns into LinkedIn or it turns into a politicalized Facebook. So you have to clearly set guidelines and then over time, like those norms become standards and people fall on the line. But it's, it's very important. Like community building is not an easy thing. And it's very important to accept the guidelines without being an asshole about it all. But hey, like, we're not going to talk politics in here. If you want to do that, you can go to Facebook or whatever you want to do. But like, very clearly stating, we're not going to have a political discussion. This is not going to be this sort of forum. These are the type of conversations that are going to happen here. And this is what you should expect. I think that's really important. 
I think a lot of people are afraid to do that, but I think there's power when you set those terms because people understand what they're coming here for and, and the behaviors kind of line up in that sense. So to answer your question, <laughs> that was a long-winded answer to your original question, which was, how would you describe Lean Lux? So Lean Lux right now is like a, I like to think of it as like a modern media company. And that means it's a media portion right now. That means there's a newsletter, but there's also like a connection side or a community side. And for us right now, that's the Slack channel. And before COVID, it also included things like panel talks, like real life panel talks, socials, dinners, things like that. And hopefully we'll be able to get that back up and running. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. definitely. So we'll see. I can foresee opportunities increasing, especially as we get on the other side of the virus. As a participant in the Slack channel, I will say that like any club, it seems like those who visit the club most frequently understand the decorum, understand the social norms. And those of mm -hmm. us like myself who, <laughs> I, I got the gym membership so that I could <laughs> go every month and get a smoothie. Yeah. I'll check in and I will try to interact or or have a or try to participate in a conversation and I will very often find that I don't speak the same language or I speak a language that is somewhere in the lingua franca but is not necessarily I'm speaking Portuguese to a bunch of Spanish speakers basically. You know, that is that's actually completely okay. And that's the thing. I don't want to necessarily yes, there's going to be excitations of the type type of conversations that are going to be had there. There's like you said, there's going to be a, a certain decorum there. But I don't want to necessarily prescribe the value right. Right. of it for you. Maybe you're coming to Lean Lux. And I, I look at Lean Lux as like a world, like an ecosystem. So like maybe for you, you don't want to be as involved in the Slack channel, but you may be coming for the newsletter. Or maybe you're coming into the newsletter for the purpose of connecting with other folks in the Slack channel. So you're naturally going to be a little bit more active there. I don't really necessarily look at that as like a negative thing because you're still within the world of Lean Lux and you're participating in your own way and finding value from it in your own particular way. I think it's just important to set the terms of the type of conversations that are being had. And if you feel compelled to chime in on something that, you know, is interesting to you personally, then everybody's going to be to be willing to listen. And, and yeah. to reference this show's last episode with Jessica Murnan, we talked a little bit about everyone has their own strengths and everyone has their mm -hmm. own, their, runs their own race, really. And we talked about how we were both just terrible at running the mile and made a wonderful metaphor of it. You'll have to go back and listen. The, the fact is that I might bring something and I see myself on there most often when I'm breaking a story or when I'm breaking some information that I feel like the Lean Lux community might be interested in. And sure. more often than not, someone will speak to its value. And similarly, I noticed that I will have had information in pocket that then gets broken to the Lean Lux community. And I'll be like, oh, I probably should have shared that here. <laughs> it's interesting how, how the storytelling aspect of Slack has manifested for you. Do the folks at Slack, do they know how valuable your community of 700 is? Do they understand that? Have you had conversations with them? I don't actually know. I'm sure there's somebody connected to, to, to the Slack folks who probably said something. I can't speak to that. I don't know. And frankly, I don't really care. Yeah. And like, I'm, it's interesting. Like, like I told you. Yeah, I feel like where we are with these community building tools like a Slack is you were saying something so beautiful just a second ago about how you don't really care. <laughs> and like you want, you want the Portuguese and the Spanish to both exist in that space and kind of coexist mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. they build, as it builds, because the pendulum can swing a little bit farther as a result of not being so girded about your rules. And I think the same goes for Slack. I think that this community exists on Slack right now, but like you're trying to do and you tried to do with your move to New York, it needs to have a life of its own in real time. And yeah. it could exist in a future platform that isn't Slack. 
And one of the things that I think I'm seeing more and more of is how we talked about Blogspot at the beginning of this conversation that moved into Squarespace and then the mm -hmm. social media channels became their own blog forums of sorts. And then Medium picked up, LinkedIn picked up with the ability to post long form. And now you see Substack with a very strong position. Do you have any perspectives there on how you, you refer to LeanLux as a media company? Do you have any reference points for where you see that shifting in the next, in the coming, you know, months, weeks, years, that sort of thing? So is this a question of like where we're Lean Lux is going specifically? Not necessarily. I'm just curious about media in general, but it, it could be about Lean Lux too. Yeah. Um, before I started Lean Lux, I actually did a lot of studying of media. So I went as far back as Time Magazine's origins and like Fortune Magazine's yeah. origins, the New Yorker's origins, the Economist origins. I'm actually, I have a book in my desk right now. It's called The Pursuit of Reason. And it's actually this very large book published by HBS that chronicles the whole history of The Economist, which is one of my favorite magazines. When I first started this, I did a lot of research on media and specifically publications, how they started and how they grew, what they did internally, like how they built their teams, how they edited, like what their focus was, that sort of thing. To me, media has always been interesting, like even going all the way back to college, I was interested in just media and specifically like how media shaped people's worldviews as it relates to politics, as it relates to pop culture, everything like that. So to see media as it stands today, Substack, you mentioned Substack, very interesting company, right? So like Hamish reached out to me. Hamish is, I forget the, the gentleman's last name, but he, and I apologize, Hamish, if you, if you are listening to this later, but he reached out to me to recruit Lean Lux as one of the first newsletters to, to launch with Substack. And I politely declined. I thought it was a great idea. I personally just want a little bit more control over like my branding and everything like that. So that's, I'm still on MailChimp and it's okay. It's not the best. But I think it's interesting, like we're just seeing so many new voices pop up, primarily on Substack, Max. Like I've been linking more and more, especially this year, to a lot of really talented minds who have their own Substacks now and are coming with some really you know, interesting perspectives on the direct-to-consumer marketplace, on branding, on strategy, on culture. One of my favorite new blogs, well, actually, it's not even new at all. It's, I think, a year and a half or so old. It's run by my friend Colin Nagy called Why, Why Is This Interesting? And it's just really cool. It comes out every morning. It is, there's a new topic every single day. And it's written by him and is a friend of his. And sometimes they have um, guest writers on. I've been on once before. But it's just an interesting perspective. It's like Colin travels a lot he has like a very interesting view of the world, which I, I appreciate and love. So he brings that sort of view to the newsletter. And from an intellectual standpoint, it's very unique because it's just many topics, high level discussions that don't really get too deep into the weeds because there's a limit. It's just, it's interesting. And it's called why is this interesting? <laughs> but I, I think Substack has been in many ways a godsend because it's allowed a lot of people to get their voices out, build their own audiences. And I think it's, I think it's fascinating. At the same time, a lot of it is becoming a bit stale. There's a lot of stuff that's being repeated. Sameness. Yeah, a lot of sameness. There's always like a period where that kind of comes and then something new happens after that. But at the same time, like it's been, it's actually been great to be able to link to new people who are coming out with some new ideas and, and, folks who have like new voices. I think it's, I think it's been a, a really good thing. And I appreciate what Substack has been able to, to bring there in particular. I think it's interesting too, like Medium seems to be fading away for a hot second there. They were the go-to right. platform for independent voices. And now they're falling away and Substack is, you know, not at all. Like they actually very, in a very real, real way are taking over that sort of independent voice, allowing folks to create their own sort of foundations to their own it's, newsletters and things like that. I think it's fascinating. 
it's where I was, it's where my mind was earlier as we were talking about Slack is like the future yeah. could be that there are Slack copies or versions of Slack that supplant Slack in some way. You asked me the question, I'll ask you, what is the future of Lean Lux oh. <laughs> beyond the live events and that sort of thing? I, I mentioned earlier that I kind of view Lean Lux as an ecosystem more than anything with the primary function being member to member or user to user or person to person connection around this sort of shared interest, which happens to be modern brands meets modern business meets culture for a specific cohort, which is the Henry, which I'm sure you've heard multiple times. The Henry is, it stands for high earner, not rich yet. So this is a psychographic, <laughs> it's a psychographic, not a demographic. It actually spans across generations from Gen Z to baby boomers. It's mostly just, it, this sounds really bad, but it's probably the best way I can explain it. It's almost like a taste level. So somebody who is a Henry is probably going to opt if they're in the market for a handbag, for example, they're probably going to opt for, instead of that Hermes, instead of that Hermes, they're probably going to opt for, I don't know, like maybe a Cuyana. Again, not the best comparison, but that's probably the Well, you, you could also make the argument, and this is another piece of the conversation that I'd love to talk about if we have time. They're going to opt for an italic cashmere sweater yeah. as opposed to a Loro Piana. Knowing yes. that the italic is likely woven in a factory on the same street as the Laurel Piana, if not in the same factory mm -hmm. as Laurel Piana. Mm -hmm. Henry's are educated consumers who understand and value quality, but don't necessarily need or have the ability to pay for luxury. You articulated it so much better than I did, bless your heart. You're exactly right. And yeah, that's pretty much what it is. And so again, Lean Lux first started as just like a basic newsletter. It's since expanded from there. We've done, I don't know if you were part of the Slack channel at that time, but we've done things with Nike. We've actually done virtual and digital roundtables for product development for them. Within the Slack, it's like a quick two-week session. People apply. We accept a handful of folks. We have multiple roundtable sessions with Nike. They refine their products based on what actually happens. And then we close it all out after two weeks and we celebrate. It's effectively like a consultation, like a design consultation. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So this is like using the brain power of Lean Lux members within the Slack channel, a quick little two-week session. And then like that, the whole thing was shut down. Everybody celebrated. It was a good time. And, and so the good thing about that was that you were actually able to see the results of that roundtable and that feedback come to life over time. There's been several things that we've seen based on that particular project that Nike's actually implemented and in a couple of projects and services that we've been fascinated to, to, to see and very happy to, to witness. So it's things like that I'm most excited by, right? Like real world impact using the Lean Lux minds to have a real life sort of impact on things, uh, whether that's their own projects, whether that is projects for other people. I think that is fascinating, but the future of Lean Lux is going to be about bringing more of this member to member connection to life, building out the ecosystem more, coming out with more products. We're actually building a couple of things right now, to be honest with you. And we're going to hopefully get that out early 2020, 21. It's just, it's, there's so many things you can do. Like going back to media, Max, it seems to me that people, when they first started media companies are very locked into like this, like journalistic dogma, which to me is okay. Like I run a media company. I run a journalism business. That means my journalism, the content has to be the best thing ever. And I don't necessarily think that's true for me. The media portion always speaks back towards it always looks towards the connection like it's sparking connection between members that's the way that i think the lean lux media arm functions best not necessarily about breaking news or anything like that just for breaking news sake but how does this how is this going to facilitate better connection between the members mm -hmm. like how is this going to spark conversation between the members or i don't know 
help them out in some way. That's what, that's the way that I think about media. It's a means to an end for a bigger purpose, which for our purposes is member to member connection and, and things like that. But I think a lot of people on the media side get locked into this idea of, okay, like I'm a journalism outfit. That means I have to do this and this based on tradition. And I can't really break out of that mold because again, we're like a journalism company. And I never really have thought of it like that. I've always thought of media as like a means to an end, because when you think about it, it really is. And when you think about what your role can be as a media company, from that standpoint, there's a lot of different directions you can go, whether it's commerce, whether it is real estate, like having your own spaces, hospitality, research, consulting, using the crowd. There's a lot of things you can do and, and your role can be reshaped completely differently from previous media companies. If you think of yourself in a different way and not just looking at the content production as the end all be all, if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. Oftentimes the content is the, is just the vessel to get to the other side yeah. of opportunity and the opportunity, like you said, yeah. it can be endless. And it sounds like that's where you're thinking. So I'll be excited to see what comes of the groundwork that you've laid. It's a beautiful platform and I'm, I am a big fan. All right, Paul, I think we are at the part in the conversation where it's time to talk about what's in your cookies this week. This is meant to be a fast, fun, cultural conversation covering a few things from this week's browser history. Your cookies. <laughs> and uh, it's your opportunity to wax poetic on your favorite actual cookie. So I'll okay. start with, Paul, what is your favorite cookie? What is my like actual favorite cookie? Yes chocolate chip are you talking about a home a home-baked chocolate chip cookie or are you talking about like yeah of course yeah of course like home-baked fresh out of the oven there's nothing again like i'm not very complicated or like fancy when it comes to things like that i just i like comfy things right so like some of my best memories always when mom or grandma or somebody makes like freshly baked not out of the the box or whatever like freshly baked homemade oh yeah from um, scratch chocolate chip cookies yes of course of course there's, there's nothing better yeah, there's something about that that yellow Toll House package too. When you see it on the counter, you're like, oh, we're going to have chocolate chip cookies. This is the best day. <laughs> I love that. What about um, you? What's your go-to? I have thousands of favorite cookies. And my wife actually interviewed me on the show two weeks ago. I was talking about a seasonal cookie that I love. It looks like a sugar cookie, but they use Christmas colors, green or red. And they call it a nutmeg Noel. It has nutmeg in it and has an ingredient called cream of tartar that raises the cookie a little bit. It gives it a little bit of... Can I, can I alter my answer? Of course. That's what this is all about. Okay. So I'm from Richmond, Virginia. And in Richmond, there, there used to be this old family-owned uh, uh, grocery store chain called U-Crops. U-K-R-O-P-S. Owned by the U-Crops family. They recently sold to this Belgian company, so they don't really exist anymore, but their cookies still do. And they have these things called the rainbow cookies, which are delicious. And they're like, they're rainbow, like they're like rainbow, they're rainbow colored. colored. Yeah. They're, I think they're, I think they're, I think they're pretty much just sugar cookies. I could be wrong, but they're so damn delicious. It's the, the first time I had one. They're I like was fluffy. like a little kid. They're fluffy. And they're so damn good. I, yeah, that's, I knew there was something else there. But the first <laughs> thing that popped in my mind was like the warm chocolate chip cookies fresh out, fresh out of the oven. That's amazing. But yeah, I'd have to go with the, the rainbow cookies at U-Crops. Which they, well, they still make them, but you know, it's not the same. We used to get a U-Crops tin at Christmas. Oh, so they, you know. Oh, yeah, man. I love those cookies. I, I think it was <laughs> relative. I didn't, I had no clue. Oh, yeah. They look like Rasta. Right? They're like red. Yeah, green. yes, yes. They're so good. This week might as well be sponsored by Ucross because those cookies are so good. <laughs> okay, I was really excited to have you on the show because I'm so curious what your media diet is. So maybe instead of what's in your cookies, could you talk to me mm -hmm. a little bit about like your media routine? Like what do you check first? What do you check right before bed? Whose writing do you most often find yourself reading? The things you shop for, read, watch, listen to? So the media diet, I like to do them in batches. So I have to check. It's part of my job to check 
what's going on with my space throughout the day. You can get easily locked into that, checking it every minute, every hour if you wanted to. And I learned early to stop that. So what I usually do is just, I let it all accumulate. I have like things that I use. So whether they're like Gmail, like tabs or folders where content goes, or whether it's just like Feedly, which is like an RSS application, whether it's just like Twitter lists, I just, instead of checking it every single minute and like constantly scrolling, I just check it at certain points throughout the day. So usually what will happen is if I don't check it three times a day, I'll check it twice. So usually in the morning, because there's business of fashion and other folks who like to, to publish in the morning. So I'll go into like my Gmail content tab and see what's the latest based on the morning news. I'll save it to pocket is where a lot of stuff gets filtered for the newsletter. So there's different tabs within pocket that I use to organize things based on, okay, like what portion of the newsletter are they going to be put in? Or is it going to be a lead? Is this going to be part of the grab bag? Or is this going to be like more of the serious section where I go into like more detail, like why this is important. So break it down like that. And then I'll do it again in the evening, or maybe I'll do it again at lunchtime. If I can tell it's like a busy um, news day, but usually it's just twice a day, once in the morning and then once in the evening, I kind of use pocket as the way to organize everything based on like the sections that they might be going into the newsletter. I try to stay off Twitter as much as I can. And yeah, that's pretty much the way that I use it. And the sources are everything from like newsletters to again, like Twitter lists. I find a lot of interesting links through that, but you gotta be careful with Twitter because Twitter can suck you in like pretty easily. <laughs> Instagram can actually be a, a good source for news if you're looking for the brands. A lot of brands, you know, post things in their stories, like ALD, Amelia Dore does that often. They'll drop stuff in their stories, they'll drop posts. So it's good to keep track of the brands within Instagram too. It's actually a pretty good source for news in that sense. Yeah, man, like all over the place, like people texting me, like PR firms, keeping me up to date on what's going on with their clients they know I like. Things like that. That's pretty much for me. I died. It's pretty straightforward. I like to cut, keep things pretty organized and like pretty. I'm all about the batch. I, I guess you could say. Yeah, I I'm now interested in taking Pocket to a neck to like that next level. I've used Pocket a bunch, and I I am actually looking at it on my screen as I'm talking to you, but I don't use it mm-hmm. in the way that you're talking about, where it's an organization tool more than it's just like a hey, read this later tool that's so smart and i'm also looking at like death by tabs right now i have dozens of tabs open it sounds to me like you do not have attention deficit disorder (laughs) i mean i can but i manage it like you just have to be disciplined it's you can very easily and don't get me wrong i'm just as guilty uh as anybody else of scrolling through instagram for an hour or being on Twitter for like an hour and just, it's just, it's so easy to get caught up in that. And I've just learned to actually stop that. I actually, it's funny enough, we're talking about Instagram. I actually deleted Instagram last week. I just completely got rid of it off my phone. I got rid of it off my iPad and it's actually helped a lot in that regard because I'm not constantly going back into it when I get bored. It's just, I'm doing something else. And the, the browser experience is actually pretty miserable. <laughs> So it works. It works. It's it's an effective it's, it's an effective blockade of the of the interaction portion of it's, Instagram. It's, to use it's it on the, on the... <laughs> it, you're like you're exactly right. It's perfect if you have a problem with Instagram. Like I can sometimes have a problem with Instagram. It's just easy if you if you delete it, you're not as inclined to go back to it because when you go to the browser, it's just it sucks. So. <laughs> you're less inclined to scroll. That's so smart. It's so, that's yeah. so cool. Okay. So we've talked a lot about like how you organize yourself. Is there anything that you read, watched, or listened to this week that you want my listeners to go and seek out? Funny that you mentioned that. Can we get into politics a little bit? Sure. Is that okay? Yeah. There's a great piece that I actually shared with a couple of friends today that I read at the Atlantic that is, is actually grief. But it is probably the smartest thing I've read about what's actually happening right now about 
just the division between both sides in our country. It, it actually does a really strong job of just laying out where we are currently. And it, it talks about like, it's called Face the Bitter Truth, written by this guy, George Packer. And he basically just says, there's two sides to our country right now. You can simplify it if you want to as one side being racist, the other side not being racist, but it's more complicated than that. And until we start to realize that there are different things going on than just that sort of dichotomy, we're going to have some trouble here. And I think, especially coming from a, you know, a source like The Atlantic, which you know, can sometimes be a little bit, especially during this election, can be a little, maybe not hysterical, but very nervous is the best way to, to describe it. To see something like even-handed like that and just like common sense really made me think about it a bit more. And I, I appreciated what they had to say. So I, I definitely would, it's called Face the Bitter Truth. It's a short little article. And it's just talking about like where things actually are from a kind of sociological standpoint. And it does a really even job of just staying in the middle and, and probing from both sides and being like, hey, listen, if we don't understand where we currently are, then we're going to have some trouble if we can't get past this stuff and just like pointing fingers and things like that. George Packer, centrist view almost all the time. And the thing mm -hmm. that I took from that article is the, <laughs> not come to Jesus, but come to our senses aspects of the title of the article, Face the Bitter Truth, right? The fact is that we're going to have to learn how to live with one another. The eight years of Obama, the four years of Trump, we're going to have to learn how to coexist. And the fact is that there are perspectives that fly directly in the face of my own and vice versa. My perspectives fly directly in the face of relatives of mine. There was talk of civil war. There was talk of unrest. On last week's podcast, we talked about the level of stress collectively that we're going through right now is higher than the measured level of stress that the community of the United States was experiencing in the run-up to the civil war of the 1800s. We're not going to solve it in this five minutes of this podcast, but <laughs> But it's, it's an excellent read. I will make sure that I link to it on the blog. And I can't thank you enough for bringing that to our attention. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. And I'll ask you some rapid fire Proustian questions. Sure. Paul, if you were a cocktail, what kind of cocktail would you be? I'd be a Negroni, 100%. Easy question. A white Negroni or a, a Blanco? Oh, standard Negroni. Standard Negroni. Okay. Standard Negroni. What's your gin of choice? Oh, Hendrix, or if I'm just going basic, Hendrix, if I want to step it up, Monkey 47. Okay. So Hendrix with your Campari in that yep. Negroni. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's the mood booster. It's just easy. You know, it, it's <laughs> yeah. got that bitterness. You don't do too many of them. You do like maybe two and you're, you're good to go. Yeah, totally. Whose face would you like to see on the dollar bill? Obama. That's, you know, what like, That's what I do. That's what I do. Obama, I don't, I don't know. Chappelle. That's, Actually, that's, Chappelle. Chappelle. Okay. By the time this, this goes up, he will have just hosted Saturday Night Live. Uh, yes. For the second time. And the last time we saw him on Saturday Night Live, it was the Saturday after mm -hmm. Trump was elected. Have you had a chance to check out Chappelle on the Letterman Netflix? I paused it halfway. I was doing some chores around the house and I stopped it, but I need to go back to it. He's a national treasure. He deserves to be in a dollar bill. He is. DC raised, right? Ohio, DC raised kind of split between, we learned in this episode of Dave Letterman's show. The fact that he returned to his father's roots to the Ohio town where crazy? his father lived. It says something about the male relationship. And I see Dave in a whole new light as a result of that. His perspective on things though is so necessary and so valuable. I, I fully agree with you. I was gonna say like a lot of the stuff that he says, yeah, I mean, it's very controversial. It, it can be insulting. At the same time, like it's comedy. It, it's refreshing to see somebody go there He's just speaking his mind. And I think that is fundamentally refreshing at a time like this where people are just afraid to do that for various reasons. And so that's, he's never lost that touch. That's just always been 
Dave Chappelle, but he's done it with a level of intelligence that you just can't help but find to be just luring, frankly. Like, it's just, he just comes at you with a level of, of intelligence when, he, even, when he's even insulting some marginalized you know, group people. Yeah. yeah like it, it, it's still, he has just like a mic drop way of talking. Like they talk about Dylan, Dylan talks about <laughs> writing a song. Every line has to be the beginning of a new song. Every sentence yeah. Chappelle speaks is like its own mic drop. The way that it's constructed yes. and the way that he, the delivery, if he pulls out a cigarette in the middle of the, <laughs> of it, it's, it almost feels semi-deliberate or he takes a drag and it's, yeah. oh man, oh man. Said, what article of clothing is your battle armor? Oh, okay. Recently it's been this puffer, this Nike puffer vest that I wear every morning now. So I do a 5K over the Williamsburg Bridge every morning and sometimes in the evening too. And since it's getting colder, I layer up. So I'll put on the windbreaker and then on top of that, I'll put on the, the Nike vest, the puffer vest and it keeps me warm. Stores my keys, my phone, my AirPod case, everything like that. It's been, you know, for the last, I don't know, I guess I want to say maybe a month and a half, maybe a month since it started getting cold. That's been my, that's been my go-to in the morning. That's my battle armor. Is it down in the front and like kind of airy in the back? Oh, no, it's, it's completely down all around. Oh, wow. It's a big boy. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. Nike sportswear. I don't think it's meant to be performance, but it definitely gets the job done. Well, I will make sure that you send me a link if you can find it. We can link to it. Yeah, yeah. What song motivates you? Is there a running song? I actually have stopped listening to, to music sure. when I run now. I, it's weird. So what I do is I put in my AirPods. I've got the pros. And if I'm not listening to music, I'll just leave them in. Usually I'm not listening to music. But if I do run the music, it's probably going to be, I have a, a couple of little playlists and it's got stuff like, God, what is, what is the name of Disclosure. It's got a lot of disclosure. Oh, um, sure, sure. Disclosure really does it for me. But some of, the, some of their deeper cuts. So I'm you'll like leave them in times. and you won't have anything going. That's the go-to now. But usually if I am playing music, it's a playlist. I got like two or three workout playlists that are primarily disclosure driven. It has become part of individuals ensembles as they're out in the world to just have airpods mm -hmm. in our elder daughter she was walking around the house the other day and she had one in her ear and i said what are you listening to and she said oh nothing <laughs> i was just like oh, <laughs> okay so this is the thing guys. Yeah, like I mean, the one well, earring it's, it's funny too because you think about when they first came out and it's just everybody was you see a, a finance bro wearing the AirPods, you're just like snickering a little bit when they first came out. But now it's just, it's like a standard part of your ensemble for many people. It's just like the go-to and credit to Apple for <laughs> frankly being able to make that happen because they're not yeah. very, they don't look very nice. And that's the other thing is that now we're so used to watching people and it's only been, we're in November now, it's only been since March that we've been dealing with people working from home and video conferencing. But on all of the TV channels, almost every minute, there's a little white thing hanging out of somebody's ear while they're yep, talking yep. on a talk show or on a news program or whatever it is. It's ubiquitous. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. What is your motto? Jeez. What is my motto? Oh, man. This is going to sound really awful, but just, just shut the fuck up and do it. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a crasser version of what nike said that's pretty much like my internal monologue whenever whenever i want to complain about something or, or wherever whenever i'm stuck on something and don't really want to do it i just it's just like dude just shut the fuck up and do it just do it that's yeah. pretty much my monologue yeah. yeah it's 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 a running theme on this show i managed to only talk to doers people who are just so motivated to just go and do just do it now do it now just shut the fuck up and do it. This dude. has been a week where I have been procrastinating all over the place and it has everything to do with just utter exhaustion. I need that advice this week. So thank you for that. You're welcome.
glad I could help, Max. <laughs> okay, we've talked now for a little over an hour. What would you mm -hmm. like for the listeners to to leave with following our time together? Yeah, just keep your head up, whatever happens, and look forward to doing the things you can actually control, which is improving your life on a personal level, maybe strengthening bonds with your family, or maybe increasing your business a bit more. These are things you can actually control and whatever happens in the election happens, but just try to stay positive and keep your head up. That's great. That's great. So thank you. Paul thank Munford, you. thank you so much for coming on the program today. Thank you for having me, Max. It's been a pleasure catching up with you and great, great talking to you again, man. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Paul Munford. You can find out more about Lean Lux by heading to leanlux.com. That's L-E-A-N-L-U-X-E.com. Tune in next week when my guests will be filmmaker Sam Macon and illustrator Stacy Rosich. This is the No First Podcast. The No First Podcast is a production of All Plat Out. Our theme song is That's Right by Pop Villains. Thanks to Marla, Stella, and Ruby. Stay safe. Stay healthy and know first who you are. Is there anything that you were hoping that we might talk about on the show today? No, honestly, I was just looking forward to catching up with you uh, personally. And we, like you said at the beginning, it's been crazy to think about it, but 11 years since we first met. And I remember we went, we were with like a big group and we ended up going to the Jane Hotel. And yeah, I remember distinctly remember you uh -oh. dancing yeah. your ass off at the Jane. So that's that my... That's the last time I saw you, oddly enough, and that's my lasting impression of, of I, I remember Russell. the Chesterfield couches in front of the fireplace yep. at the Jane Hotel. Yep. I have very fond memories of that night. Thank you, brother. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, of course, that. Of course. <laughs>